0: This morning is the closing talk of our days here together and with the closing talk I would like to speak about some of the aspects of the daily life situation both in the broader picture of things as well as some of the particulars <coughs> Could it be turned down a bit Great. In, in terms of some of the particulars other (laughs) direction. Great, thanks. In terms of some of the particulars which influence and affect our daily life. Um, Just recently in England a series of documentaries were made and the documentaries had as a theme faith in... The future and they covered both uh, the state of religion in England and also here in the US and it was uh, said in that documentary that in the United States something in the region of 40% of the population of the United States still go to church very regularly. Uh, on uh, Sunday mornings. And to us in England, it was, I nearly said alarming, I mean startling. (laughs) (laughs) And compared to the huge decline of the uh, interest in the established church, and it is now down to something like in England, uh, something in the region of about 6% of uh, the population. And I think what one one sees, in a very general way, a degree of uncertainty about the world which we live in, a degree of uh, insecurity, not only at the personal level, but also at the social level. And there are very serious, serious problems in our society. And there are questions taking place that, is the moral, ethical structure of our society actually disintegrating around us? And these are very serious questions which are being asked and are as serious as the concerns that we may have about the earth itself, the ecosystem itself. And, th- and in such periods that it brings such deep questions in people and quite often those questions, there is a turning towards religion which is one of the... Uh, Uh, resources in a way, if it is in a valuable way, towards the uh, inner welfare of human beings. But what we also see is a return to quite often what appears to us as some, or to myself, as very extreme positions and fundamentalism has become a feature, a predominant feature of religion and also the evangelical movement in the determination to persuade others to believe accordingly. And I think what one might say with the the Buddhist tradition with regard to this, that it it itself is in something of a state of crisis itself. And I think that is unlike more fundamentalist religions of the Near East, that part of that is due to its refusal uh, in a broad sense to be fundamentalist. And it has this long-standing uh, religious spirit of openness and tolerance of course not everywhere and not in every region of the of the teachings but it is one of the unifying uh, principles of uh, the Buddhist tradition and what that has meant particularly in the East at the present time that it is very severely under threat whether we speak of J- Japan or Korea or the Tibetan peoples or Thailand or Burma or or Sri Lanka, and there is a crisis in the East in terms of will it be able, the the deeper elements of the teachings, be able to withstand the tremendous pressures of military governments, of consumerism, of uh, economic pressures, and to some degree, a growing disillusionment in secular society in the East with conventional Buddhism. And so there is a a probing and a questioning, and also, to its credit in a way, an unwillingness to adopt dogmatic fundamentalist postures so far. And one of the facets of that, as the the teachings take root in the West, that there is quite some degree of influence, and I noticed this on my... uh, Visits to uh, India, my re- particularly my recent visit to Thailand, that there's some reciprocation taking place, and that reciprocation is showing itself that as we endeavor to show what we might call what we might call a post-consumer culture is all about, a more caring, thoughtful, uh, insightful culture takes place, in which it's not trapped in, the, in gathering and gaining. And what I still think, in some respects, is the hunter-gatherer mentality. Mostly in the shopping malls. (laughs) And as there's an attempt to move beyond that to other awarenesses and and, uh, deeper realizations in life, that is also, there is a sitting up and taking notice of that. So that as we ourselves explore in situations like this, Please do be aware and appreciate the widespread influence that is taking place. And one of the lovely things about uh, the tradition of meditative awarenesses, insights, seeing into the nature of things, and looking at the way the mind gives shape to its and defines its world is that there's a growing quiet, but influential appreciation of this in many different movements. And as we saw yesterday, when we listened uh, yesterday in in the field of mental health, in the field of social work, in psychotherapy, psychology, in philosophy, in the more thoughtful sciences, in uh, peace work, in in global issues, environmental issues, that there's a growing and genuine acknowledgement of the value and the insights that these practices do have to play in people's lives and the way, because they're very malleable, they're very flexible, and in the open and tolerant spirit, are able to enter and to be of very much a practical use in the day-to-day situation. And I think that really presents a genuinely spiritual alternative to that uh, of fundamentalism, of of dogmatic beliefs and the kind of liberal ideas which sometimes are very fudgy and everything goes, everything is okay and the extremes of liberalism which I think is just as unsatisfactory as with fundamentalism. And some middle ground, middle way which we are exploring here I think reflects and reveals spirituality which can, can acknowledge the, the the truths of life. And thus you and I and others have the capacity and the important freedom to draw on resources which contribute to insight, to realisation, to the, the touch of the blessed, of the sacred. With, with that, it means that that includes, of course, how that can show itself, how can that actually reveal itself in the context of our daily life situation. And, and of course there are major areas of the daily life. One, of course, is the field of work, what it means to, to work. And that must show itself not only in the content of the work that we do, because livelihood, right livelihood, is something which is integral, obviously, to the spiritual life, quite often goes completely unquestioned in orthodox religion. One literally can do virtually any task, any job that one wishes to do, as long as it's with, within the parameters of the loss, so to speak. But in spiritual life, and certainly in the Buddhist tradition, the questioning and the looking at our livelihood, since it does adopt or take up so much of our time is one which we have to consider in terms of the content, the motivation, the results of what we do, both for ourselves also, but also for the world that we live in. And it's not at all unusual in situations of retreats that there has been quite a lot of questioning about one's work, about the livelihood, and ways and means to change that work. And for quite a few people, they have come to the crossroads in those kind of decisions and the person may have been earning a substantial salary in the the corporate sphere but feel that the work is is not touching something significant uh, in life and quite often change of work or change of livelihood has quite often meant for many, many people a significant, a substantial cut in salary. That goes with changing livelihood for most people. It's not very often people change their livelihood for a wholesome and valuable livelihood and simultaneously get a better salary. <laughs> <laughs> so please be aware of what you're getting into in these situations. <laughs> and then there are areas which do, don't really fall into of great value or not of great value, and they're very m- valuable and valuable. Uh, Ordinary jobs, let us say, everyday jobs which people are engaged in and one wouldn't call it as unskillful livelihood, inappropriate work, but those situations too, wherever and whatever they are, do challenge the person, do challenge us. And that means that sometimes we do find ourselves in contact with our peers, in contact with our employers, in contact with our employees, in uh, in contact and in conflict with the state or whatever it might be. And it is not easy there to, we were talking in the discussion yesterday uh, evening in here, to find ways to stand steady and to draw upon resources so that there is wisdom and compassion and value being put into the sphere. As an example, as somebody said to me uh, yesterday, and Jose uh, uh, was commenting when we were talking about it at breakfast time, that sometimes there is a, there is a single statement in the corporate uh, sphere that takes place, and the, the the duty or the responsibility of the company is to make a profit, and everything then is subservient to that particular ideology. That belief, Regardless of what the consequences might be in health and safety issues and exploitation, the use of the environment, etc., etc. Profit be- becomes the godhead of the, the corporate world. So it, if one is in a situation where one sees that is the priority, it may well provide very difficult and very challenging questions for one. How is one going to work with this? Can one explore and and intimate and find ways so that that consideration for profit mustn't be exclusive of course it's a significant issue but it must be considered as the Dharma constantly reminds us it is interdependent with everything else it is interconnected interrelated with everything else and therefore it has to be seen in relationship to and not unto itself and seeing it in relationship to takes, in Dharma language, the selfness out of it, the selfhood out of it, the individual priory, uh, primary existence out of it, because it's seen in relationship too. And, and this, uh, as I say, raises tough questions for some people in this room. Also with the daily life situation and what I consider of... Uh, great significance and, of course, the tradition uh, has uh, stated this explicitly. And the, the, the Buddha, perhaps some, some of the most famous, well-known comments that he has made over the, over, which have been passed on over the years, he says that there are three gems of existence and they are not found in the jewellery shop. And the first gem is the gem of awakening. To the awakening of life. <coughs> this is the great gem of existence. The Buddha, mean, the Buddha, word Buddha means awakening. All human beings have the potential for awakening, which means the potential to be a Buddha. The second is the Dharma. The Dharma is that, D H A R M A, in the Sanskrit, or in the sister language, Pali, P A L I, D H A M A that the dharma is that which contributes to awakening, the teachings which directly contribute to the awakening of a human being. And the third is the sangha, S-A-N-G-H-A, and the sangha literally means gathering, it means the association and the contact and the communication in an active and uh, regular way with human beings who are concerned with awakening. And that, of course, may express itself and show itself in many different ways. And we have been exploring that in particular ways uh, here during these last nine days together. And I do say that those are, uh, I agree, of course I would agree, wouldn't I? I agree that these are the three (laughs) gems of existence. And uh, (laughs) something, I don't always agree with everything, the, the... what I call the old man says <laughs> <laughs> but these here and these three gems of, exi- of existence that sometimes there is a genuine commitment uh, and exploration of awakening uh, spiritual teachings that the Dharma and sometimes though there is a neglect a neglect of the third one and it's very very easy to in a kind of gradual way, and sometimes ways which people don't realize, of having the association with, and all the value of, of that, and then perhaps just moving. Like someone said, said to me, oh, I just moved from one part of Cambridge to the other part of in Cambridge Mass, and I find myself really having fewer, and less and less contact with uh, the center there, less and less contact with friends, and sometimes just that movement away from just sometimes the, the, the third gem we, we begin to move away from as well. And it's a pity because of all the nourishment and the practical support that not only we receive through the gatherings, through the sangha, through the contact with like-minded people, but equally important what we give to it as well. It's again interconnectedness, interflowing. And I do say to look at our life and to say, is there neglect of that taking place? And so sometimes when we are moving from A to B, wherever that might be, instead of being a victim, uh, uh, a conditioned response of moving to a, a more fashionable area or a more uh, upmarket place or moving to where, there's, so where we have more space w- so that we can get even all our extra accumulations there which have to be cleaned and all of that nonsense, <laughs> that we consider the moving in terms of will the moving contribute to contact with like-minded people in the very open sense of that? Or will the moving actually contribute to the neglect of the support which I, whoever the I is, can give and receive? That ought to be the priority for moving and not not in the economic sphere at at all. Other considerations too with the daily life, teachings and of course teachers as well. And we see in the the spiritual explorations and in the diversity of them that there are a growing number of teachers. Teachers directly connected with the Buddhist tradition, of course. Teachers directly connected with uh, the field of insight meditation and, and other ways of working as well. And the network of people grows and grows quite considerably worldwide every year. And I think one of the very uh, healthy and uh, beautiful responses of that is again this spirit of openness and tolerance. And the teachers and the teachers who uh, come to IMS and other such facilities, I can say, because they are friends of mine since the 70s and the early 80s, that there, there's this real genuine spirit there of. The wish for the welfare and uh, freedom and the insights and the heartfulness of people. And and, and one of the real strong characteristics of that is that we give support to people's exploration. Some people say, I need some more time to work uh, uh, and connect with a psychotherapist. It gets support. Some people say, I need to travel to India and explore different kind of teachings there and it be exposed to that, that receives support. Some say, I uh, wish to uh, go and do some other kind of workshops, and it can be anything shamanism and the American Indian tradition and Zen practice, or and the, and the diversity of other values and explorations, which is in the same spirit as ours, and it does genuinely get support. And the teachers in, are interested in this, we continue these explorations as well as do many of you too. And I think that's a very vibrant and a very healthy organism. And it's not so much that, that a person is a, feels that they are a seeker and they are really looking for something, but actually it's an expression of their freedom in life. It's an expression of looking into things and, the, and exploration. And there's a, a vitality and a, a, a joy and a challenge in all of that, and this, uh, the tradition of this endorses that greatly. Of course, some people do feel a connection with a particular teacher, and with his or her uh, way of teaching, and wish to explore that further, and therefore there's the opportunity there for sustained connection and reconnection with that teacher, whoever, as I say, that person might be, I would say as a small word of caution that if a teacher starts putting out a number of exclusivity, of narrowness, of saying you must stay with me and not do anything else, not have contact with anything else, please, please be very careful. The analogy which I use is that sometimes those who go deep into spiritual life there are sharks wandering around the deep. Really. And to be watchful. And some people say, oh, oh, this person, that person has got really involved in that. They think it's only in that have become very narrow, very exclusive, and kind of cult mentality, and putting down everything else. And the person may say in a kind of optimistic mode, oh it 's probably a phase a spiritual phase in which he or she is passing through It may not be a phase it might be a lifelong 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 plural sentence <laughs> no just because one throws oneself into something in a, which has a, the, 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 the the unfortunate smell of cultism in it there doesn 't mean to say the person will ever emerge out of it, and it is a for unfortunate thing that this does easily takes place due to some manipulation from the powers to be, the, the teachers, the gurus or whatever, in conjunction with the vulnerabilities or sometimes the susceptibilities of the, the student, the follower, the disciple or whoever. So again, connection with teach a teacher may be a real genuine value. One makes that connection but please don't sacrifice your freedom for it. That's all. It's not worth it. And sometimes with with us, of course, we, of course, come here regularly, and it's always an immense delight to see peop- people and connect and reconnect uh, year by year. Also, people write to us. Uh, I'm always uh, available through uh, Gaia House and Home Address and spend fair bit of uh, time outside of retreats dealing with the correspondence and keeping that flow of connection going and there are also of course the uh, tapes as as well and uh, a rather excessively large number of recorded talks of mine around (laughs) also if I could just put a little advertisement for where I uh, live and that's in uh, Totnes and one or two things I'd like to um, highlight there. There's uh, where both Jose lived for two years and Henrietta spent two or three years uh, living in the area. And, of course, there's the Gaia House program. And the office here gives us the mailing list of people on the uh, who have set the retreats with us during the spring and summer. And so sometime in the autumn time, you'll receive the Gaia House program. Also there is the barn community there which is the farming uh, community work on the land and meditation and 15-20 minutes walk across from my home. And also what I would also like to mention too for those who are interested is the Schumacher College. And about 20 months ago a college after Schumacher the author and one of the founding fathers of the Green Movement, E.F. Schumacher. A college was started in Totnes in his name, Satish Kumar, who's a dear friend and editor of Resurgence, is the director. And the purpose of the college is to bring together spiritual and ecological values. And the cream of the milk, we might say, in the green world comes there to give... uh, teachings for about a month-long period of time and from the the States, Wendell Berry is coming and Joanna Macy and Charlene Spretnik and Fritjof Capra and many other names that would be familiar to a number of you come to spend a month there as a a resident teacher there and people uh, received uh, teachings and explorations and really enhance their spiritual and uh, ecological awarenesses. And it's doing a very, very wonderful service. I have the privilege of uh, being one of uh, what they call the uh, faculty. It doesn't mean anything and just, you know, voluntary, it's just a a word to encourage me to give it some advertising when I go traveling. (laughs) 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 And the, uh, and other, other, explorations which are taking place there, and of course, please, with uh, regard to the area, please don't hesitate to drop me a line or to to Guy House, because sometimes you are crossing the Atlantic and visiting some of your poor cousins, and so you're (laughs) always very welcome to come. Just two or three other things I'd like to mention with the daily life, and I think Jose mentioned about language and communication, and how very much the world of language and communication is very much a feature of our life, both with ourselves and with others, and what is worth communicating about, how we may relate to that. Again, what are the intentions, what are the expressions, what are the concerns, the watching of the language of gossip, that is the talking about the third person. Can we... What we say to another person, can we say to that person directly? Those kind of considerations in communication are very, very important. There's too much pain in the world through others talking about the third person. Other considerations too with the daily life is also the attitude of mind as well. And the attitude of mind, both one of not wishing someone has said to me to... To today. There is only one sin in this world, and that sin is to intentionally cause somebody suffering. That is the only sin in life. I thought it was a rather uh, succinct statement. And again, that attitude of, of mind in life where uh, all of our activities are there, and we have no wish whatsoever in the deepest point inside of ourselves to bring or contribute or add any more suffering to this world. And that itself is a remarkable awareness and practice and something to live through all the circumstances of our life, no matter how much uh, others may direct suffering towards us, let us not add one drop to it. So uh, the awareness of the the gems of existence, our dedications and commitment to that, the attitude of mind and the contribution to the learning experience of life to make as much as we can a genuinely and authoritatively learning event for us, the willingness to look into every area of our life and all the forms of relationship with each other, with the material world, with money, with work, and say, yes, all that matters as much as sitting on the Zafu, as much as being on the meditation, because this constitutes our daily life, so that the spiritual work of awakening is something which is grounded. It's not ethereal. It's not abstract. It's not you know, not not metaphysical. It's actually right in the daily life. We say spirituality, awarenesses, reverence for life, sensitivity, heartfulness, care, realization, all what we call spiritual. That that is something quite palpable, quite tangible in the daily life so that one's heart can say, I am not neglecting this. I am not putting this aside. I am not just making it a a once-a-year event. I can see this going on and feel it from one day to the next. And often we need reminders and support and contact with each other. Another uh, aspect, too, uh, is the actual retreats themselves, and the the way of exploration here. Just before this retreat began, there was the annual teachers' meeting held here. I wasn't able to attend, but Henrietta and Jose were there, and Joseph and Sharon, and yesterday evening, Joseph and Sharon and the three of us were talking on uh, different uh, topics together, And one of the the things which is occurring is that there are a small but growing number of people who are, we feel, ready to give some Dharma service through teachings, retreats, workshops, classes, evening meetings, and various forms like that. And there's quite a lot of exploration going on. And I do suggest, and I would like to encourage people that, It may be that you feel that as others do, you'd like to organize a retreat or a weekend retreat or a a workshop and would like one of the the Dharma teachers to come and facilitate that and to give some teachings. And it was agreed at the meeting in early August that one person will act as one of the teachers, as a coordinator for that. And please don't hesitate to drop a line or if it's one of the teachers particularly please ask her or him. With some of the teachers and I must uh, include myself here mostly through just through the years of giving teachings that we are sometimes uh, quite unable to add more to our timetable simply because of the retreats that we do and uh, outside of the retreats in yesterday evening Joseph said said to me, Christopher, uh, would you like to go and teach this was serious, he said, would you like to go and teach a retreat in Siberia (laughs) and uh, and um, (laughs) I declined the invitation (laughs) my Russian is not so good really and um, but just to show the extent, Joseph and Sharon have been four times now to Russia, and there is again again, growing requests for people to come uh, from the West to give teachings in this open spirit. All that is part of the exploration and expansion which is taking place, but as I say, for some of us, Joseph, Sharon, and myself, we unfortunately have to decline many invitations, mostly because we've of course have been doing the work for some years and, and have got known. But please don't let that uh, inhibit you. And you may wish on your return to talk about that with some friends, local networks, and those invitations will be uh, uh, welcomed. Finally, or, or also of course remembering too in the daily life situation, uh, is the relationship to the world around. Most of us enjoyed the one-liner about yesterday, about being uh, relieved from the Republican convention there and and uh, being being here, and of course all of that you will go back to uh, to uh, today, and I could say there's no beating about the bush around that one, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> And again, sometimes there has been, and I think that the Buddhist tradition deserves criticism for this, it has been, for my taste, too, far too apolitical. And I think that has been one of the consequences of monasticism, a certain withdrawal from the world, and the original spirit of the Mahayana tradition, though it fell back into the same pattern i feel was to break out of monasticism and the kind of introverted s- spiritual life and to bring out the mahayana spirit the spirit of awareness and compassion and i think we have a great opportunity to do this and uh, the dalai lama himself is encouraging that and for us not to take on board uh, religiosity and some of the belief systems of in this case tibetan buddhism or theravada buddhism or whatever for some For some, that will show and express itself in uh, political concerns, political action, political uh, engagement. And just recently, there was an interesting article, for example, in the Buddhist Peace Journal, published here in the States, which is a really excellent magazine. I have the privilege of being on the international board of the, the Buddhist Peace Fellowship. And in that article, there's one point which stood out, Uh, with regard to the LA riots earlier and people described it, as I just did then, as riots but another way of looking at it is that it was an uprising and that the the sheer marginalisation and the degree of neglect of whole sections of the society who have become almost forgotten people as far as the state is concerned that one small incident, as we well know becomes the tinderbox for for such an uprising and I do think there are in all of the pain and the suffering of of that there are very significant lessons to be learned and somewhere in all of this awareness and compassion and conviction and determination to change the status quo of things so that people are included and feel included in a society and feel what that means And for some, that will show itself as political work. It will show itself as campaigning for social justice, for human rights, to campaign against racism, to campaign against environmental racism, environmental injustice. And and, as I say, for some, that part of the work of bringing the Dharma into the daily life, it's got to go into these areas. And I feel that means cooperation and support and ways that we can accelerate that and make that happen. So places like IMS, they serve as a meeting point, they serve as a forum for this, and it's just one of many ways. And all of this says to us, let's look into that. We're not concerned with the promoting of the Buddhist tradition, I'm not anyway, not concerned with the maintaining of Buddhism, if Buddhism was to die tomorrow, I wouldn't batter an eyelid over it. What is far more important is awakening in life, realising the Buddha nature in life and seeing ways that that really can express itself. And This is a great challenge, it's a great, wondrous challenge for, for all of us. And I think we need each other for that and for our brothers and sisters worldwide to give support to that. All, so all of these are themes of the, of the daily life situation. And for some the meditations themselves are an important stabilizing aspect of that. Some people meditate, do their, do their daily sitting, as, some, as a kind of barometer of their experience of the day. And therefore for some there is that quiet ongoing discipline. For others that may not be present. For some, the circumstances of the day, the rhythm of the day doesn't actually include that. But that doesn't mean to say in any way whatsoever that one's spiritual awarenesses or practices are falling apart. What matters is the whole of the day, the relationship to the whole of the day, and how we live our life. That's what matters. And if it includes daily forms, and that's a real contribution wonderful if it doesn't then it doesn't but there's still the fullness of each day so these some of the topics and themes and of course when you go home today there to please to take it uh, easy and sometimes a person arrives home and because it's quite arduous these these situations like this where in a way morning noon and night we've been facing the truths of our existence and it's no easy undertaking to do that sometimes one arrives home feels quite tired quite exhausted and one finds oneself going to bed please leave the alarm clock off and just sleep have a really good sleep and please try to uh, uh, avoid um, the, the party scene a bit and certainly the alcohol scene and the drug scene and all of that, it's sometimes it, quite disturbing on, on the system after being here. Some too, there as we see with the diet as well, make the decision on the retreat that the person that you no longer wish to eat any more animal, birds or fish. And many people come on retreats and they see... And delight in the food here, and just see actually i don 't need to eat that that 's not uh, an, an important nor essential in any way part of a daily diet and make those quiet decisions to become vegetarian on the on the retreat and to, to and to to keep that and sometimes friends and parents, particularly others, don't quite understand uh, uh, why. But sometimes some of us simply are not interested to eat dead animals lying across the table anymore. Just no interest (laughs) in it. That's what it comes down to. So again, all all of this part of the explorations, uh, which takes place, and and decisions, which we can. Follow and look. So the sense of exploration, that the awarenesses, the uh, looking into things, really is full. It's a challenge in life, constantly being challenged by circumstances. And, there, and in all of that comes the awakening. nothing very special or very um, peculiar about it. It just comes because we've said, I just wish to live consciously. I want to live in as conscious way as possible and let me be as conscious in as many circumstances as possible and see what the edge is. And awakening comes in the nature, nothing special about it. So let's have four or five minutes of some loving kindness meditation together, please. Just sitting and being here together. Sharing this moment here together, in which there is no ill will. In heart or mind, no bad feelings, no hostility, resentment. So we are sitting together in the silence of things. With a warm heart for each and every person in the room here. Sometimes during the days there have been very painful, upsetting and difficult times for ourselves or for others. Sometimes we have experienced a lot of reactivity and resentment and felt harsh or judgmental. Condemning others both here or elsewhere for various reasons which we have conjured up. But let us just in this moment let all of that be gone. Absent. No. Nothing of that at all in our hearts. Nothing of that in our mind. So that we can sit here and be together and we have no ill will towards anybody in this whole world no bad feelings no resentment no jealousy no envy just clear mind warm heart and being steady in that presence of that As you know, this year, 1992, 500 years since the explorer Columbus set off for the Americas. And it is is recorded that when he arrived, the Arawak people came and offered him gifts, food and water and various gifts. It was the first time they had seen such people from, from other lands who appeared different in colour and different in dress and appearance. And the outcome of this was that Columbus took 50 hostages. <laughs> and with the spark a long, long tragedy. And I think it's important for us with our awarenesses and uh, the knowledge which comes to us. That if we can remember our privileges, then simultaneously our heart will remember those who are denied them. there'll be no interest to accumulate more privileges because we'll see the interconnection of the privileged and the underprivileged. And perhaps in this time of 500 years that these might, in our kindness reflections, become our meditations. In our meditations, the proof of their worth shows itself in our voice, in our writings, in our contributions, in our support. May our mother and father live in peace and harmony. May our brothers and our sisters live in peace and harmony. May our friends and our relatives live in peace and harmony. May all those that we have contact with live in peace and harmony. May our children and our grandchildren grow into a world of peace and harmony. May our whole being be awakened. so that we are not afraid of anything nor anyone. May all beings live in peace. May all beings live in harmony. May all beings in all the realms, in all the universes, live in peace and harmony. (laughs) you <laughs>